previously on Reading in Church and Other Distractions. I should have warned our podcasters, though, that uh, reading your, the rabbis didn't believe you should read Ezekiel until you were 30. So I hope no one suffered yeah. uh, as a result oh, of that. Uh, uh, isn't it just the, uh, the, uh, the call? The call scene? I, I don't know. I, I do know that the, the story goes of the young man who's skilled in the law who decided that he could do it and read chapter one and got to the word lightning, and lightning came out of yeah. the context and yeah. consumed him. It's a common story. That happens all the time. So <laughs> Ezekiel. I hope not, that. Not safe for the whole family. No, it is all. No. <laughs> Ezekiel is absolutely. Not safe. I would rather do a Bible study in a senior adult center on Song of Songs than read the book of Ezekiel, if that makes any... And now I've got people ready to go read the book of Ezekiel. Uh, I don't like either of those choices. (laughs) (laughs) Ezekiel's worse. I'm going to choose C. Just go ahead and tell you that we're going to do the prodigal son. Something easy. Anyway, I'm sorry. Mainstream. (laughs) That's so mainstream. Prodigal. Uh, Did I tell you that story? No. Oh, my goodness. The other night. Okay. Here's a digression. This is why we have the title. It's distracted. I'm teaching Luke this semester. So uh, I'm having people, um, Jesus has taught something, and he's probably going to reinforce it with his parables. Yeah. And so I'm having them do some group work and come in and find a parable that has this theology that we've been looking at. And so I'm getting a report back from the... uh, from the groups and a group in the back says, yeah, we we're, we focused on this and we were looking at uh, prodigal son and the group right in front of my desk goes, mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> That's so mainstream. <laughs> I say, yeah, you're not impressing these guys. These guys are so tough. They're doing the, uh, oh. the the parable of the unjust steward. So you'd have to try. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's yeah. too mainstream. <laughs> the prodigal son's too mainstream. <laughs> Just dismiss it. That's the best thing I heard all semester. Oh, that's great. Hipsters. Hipsters. That's my hand-copied Bible that I copied on the Yeah, <laughs> my oil skin. Whatever, that, that notebook they, those hipsters like to write in. Welcome to Reading in Church and Other Distractions with Rob and Mike. Well, welcome back to the podcast. I am Robert Wallace. And I am Michael McKeever. <laughs> I'm slightly distracted already. <laughs> already. This is not a good sign. <laughs> All right, is this a practice? <laughs> no, I think we're actually trying to do it now. Okay. Uh, we are at uh, Palm Sunday, but we'll be doing the text from the Liturgy of the Passion. Uh, so getting ready for Holy Week. Um, Isaiah 54 through the beginning of 9. Uh, the middle of Psalm 31, 9 through 16. Uh, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, which you said are the only parts of Philippians. You no, really- no, I'm, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm glad they're emphasizing that part. And then uh, I think we've chosen Matthew 27, 11 to 54, um, because we don't want to read two chapters, I think yeah, is the real reason. There's a lot of reading. There's a lot there. So uh, remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher if you happen to be listening to us on either of those forums, um, or send an email to Mike. Read it in church at gmail.com or uh, give us a phone call. <laughs> Mike Mike has discovered sound effect uh, sound app effects. on his iPad, so this could be a, a fun, yes. wacky podcast. Mm. Uh, Got to find appropriate ones for... Uh, for passion, I, was gonna say, I just don't think there's a lot of sound effects that are really Police going to Police siren quack help us on the passion Moo. week. Yeah, oh, a lot of cows hanging out there yeah. at the triumph. Laugh track? No, I don't think a laugh track okay. works. No, so although you know, we might need to install a laugh track for ourselves now that I think <laughs> I about it. Yeah. Some of our comments, yeah. so when so. we don't get the other one's joke, exactly. <laughs> Pause for laughter. Pause, okay. All right, so we're gonna start with Isaiah 50. Yes, okay. Isaiah 50, 4 through 9a. Hmm, now I'm intrigued. That other part is. The Lord God has given me the tongue of a teacher that I may know how to sustain the weary with a word. Morning by morning he wakens, wakens my ear to listen as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. The Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. 
<laughs> Get that out of my system. You feel better now? <laughs> yeah. Good. Um, so we're in a servant, uh, in the middle of a servant song here. Um, the Lord God, the way it's translated here, you've got the capital G-O-D, so that is probably God Almighty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, Yahweh Adonai that they're translating there. Um, you've got you know, it's your typical servant themes. The servant is righteous. Uh, the servant is... Uh, faithful to God and is abused for it. Um, the very prophetic in that regard. So, Principles for living. Yeah, yeah to be faithful to God and suffer. Um, it is. It is interesting that he emphasizes that God opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I didn't turn backwards, and then I gave my back to those who struck me. I, w- I was reading um, on this passage that it was sort of generally understood that if you took a punishment, it was an acknowledgement of guilt. That if you didn't protest, if you if you were oh. willing to walk silently, it was an acceptance that okay. you know you merited the punishment that was coming on you. Hmm. And so that the servant here is flipping that expect that cultural expectation okay. upside down by accept. I gave my I gave my back to those who struck me, oh. but I'm not put to shame. So I mean that hmm. is that's oh, okay. that is disjunction in the mind of the ancient I think okay. reader here. Yeah. Um, and by the time you get to Matthew, the silence. That Jesus at his trials mm-hmm. is something you already read in the Maccabees, the mm-hmm. silence before their foreign uh, persecutor. Oh, okay. The, one who's going, the martyrs are going to take their punishment, but a little bit different here. Yeah. Yeah. Th- this was a, you know, I'm not disgraced, even though I'm the one who, you know, my cheeks to those who pulled my beard. Mm-hmm. Huh. So, um, what else is happening here that I want to talk about? I think it's, it's that, you know, part of that second half where. Uh, second half of Isaiah, where we're focusing on the return from exile, okay. and that it's the servant and the servant's faithfulness that is, has made that possible. And uh, the servant remained faithful to God, and that faithfulness ended up, the people assumed that it was uh, because the servant was wicked, but in fact it was the servant was holding fast to God. And, and so it's very it's a very prophetic, obviously, uh, picture of the one who is teach trying to teach the people, trying to speak to the people, and is ultimately rejected by the people, um, which is what happens to those. I mean, you had your court prophets who said what mm-hmm. the people, the, what the government wanted to hear, but then you also had those on the outside who are uh, marginalized and speaking up for the marginalized and suffering, and that's what this this prophet is. And then it turns out that that he's actually right; he's actually vindicated okay. uh, at the end of the story. So. Um, and do the servant songs? Is this a whole servant song? No, not, no, it's just not that. it's a longer oh, part of one. Okay, I wasn't sure if there's a one. pattern to how they emerge or a yeah, pattern to a, how they emerge. Well, I mean, there's several of them, and it's like yeah, they're scattered you know, in there. They're scattered, but there's no. Is there any rhyme or reason or pattern, or is it always just probably? Who would know? There are people who tell me that, you know, Jeremiah is organized. I'm still having a hard time with that. So, Second Corinthians. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's probably yeah. a pattern to yeah. which they emerge. Right, um, yeah. But but I have trouble finding the pattern just reading through Isaiah, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know the context and it jumps around. It does, I, yeah. Like, I mean, you jump from, you jump 150 years mm-hmm. from the last verse of chapter 39 to the first verse of chapter 40. And there's no transition, you know, there's no, you go right from, yeah. you know, exile is coming to you're coming back from exile and you like skip the exile part mm-hmm. um, in that. And so this is, but this is part of that. There's no wavy images or spinning, no, spinning no, newspaper to no. give you the date. <laughs> yeah. No, there's none, none of that. Dissolve to live. Dissolve, yeah. No one comes up with subtext, you know, 150 years no, later. What? Meanwhile in yeah. Babylon. Yeah. No, you don't have any of that. You, mm-hmm. It just jumps right in there for yeah. you. So. That is, it's unusual. Which I mean, which is why scholars have for years approached it as two separate books, right? Yeah. I mean, it, that you go to the library now and you want to get a commentary on Isaiah, and most of them are one to thirty-nine and forty to sixty-six. And okay. Some of them are one to thirty-nine, forty to fifty-five, fifty-six to sixty-six, where they because you have another jump later on in the text. Yeah. Um, now and they're what, also long. They, yes, they. Are. That's why they're multi volumes too. They're what we're also seeing, but yeah, but yeah, that's true. The Psalms are three volumes, so that's that would hold to that. It's their long thing. But the um, what, what's fascinating about now is that you're starting to see people approaching Isaiah more holistically. That um, probably started in the early uh, early '80s. I think I talked about this on a podcast before. That my my major professor's major professor um, was one of the first to kind of start looking at 
Isaiah holistically mm-hmm. and and say, you know, maybe we should think about it as 66, you know, we've got first and second chronicles and first and second kings. We've got Isaiah. Maybe we should think of it as Isaiah and, mm-hmm. and look at it that way. Yeah. So, so you're seeing more now with commentaries coming out in one volume as opposed to I mean, coming full com- circle. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. It's reading the text there. So, so that's I mean, there's not we've talked a lot about the servants and yeah. Mm-hmm. There's some nice stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Probably the imagery, obviously, will come back when we read. Uh, right. I mean, we're really uh, sort of setting passion. up the passion in yeah. this, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and Matthew will tell us what this means. Okay. <laughs> These predictions. Oh, good. These predictions that we find here so clearly. Well, right. <laughs> predictions. And this was interesting. Well, or and also at the same time, and and I, we make this as joking, but yeah. seriously, this is the pattern of God's faithful. It's not mm-hmm. necessarily that. Oh, who was that one guy that tried to speak the truth for God but suffered? Do you yeah, remember them? Guy. Who was that? Yeah. Who was that guy? Yeah, right. That's what I hear when people's like, "Well, yeah, yeah. is this Jesus?" Yeah. Well, mm. you're asking me who's the one dude the, the that one suffered at the hands of that one righteous guy that the people guy, didn't listen yeah, to. The guy who suffered for doing good. Doing good. Who was evil who was, society? What was that guy's name? Um, this is this is so a trend. We don't have to deal with that anymore. This is yeah right. This is a trend. This is not a yeah. you know. This okay. is the pattern of what what the faithful look like when they stand in society and. Well, and so, then people are reflecting on these passages somewhat mm-hmm. more as uh, first century and towards the first century. So it's there's, but not I, messianically, right? Yeah, and I don't know about that. With the, I, I don't think as much because um, no one is no one is putting together like like it, at the baptism of Jesus, Psalm two, which is being read messianically. Messi- oh, yes, absolutely. Joined with a these, one of these servant songs, like no yeah. one's putting those together except that voice from heaven. God but, is, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I you, when I see what Matthew's doing and and some of the others, it's it's almost as though they're trying to trying to sell a creative reading. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? To, mm-hmm. to try to help people realize that you know what the Messiah is probably going to look looks different than you think, and yeah. and see yeah. here's how I'm doing it. We're we're we're, we're making okay. this point by yeah. highlighting these mm-hmm. servant parts mm-hmm. that you know, wouldn't normally associate messianic, right. you know, prophecy with. So. Right. Yeah. And when he starts strong with the voice from heaven, so. Yeah, that's yeah. That's He's true. on my side. That's true. Yeah, and the narrator. All right, all right. Well, let's move forward. Psalm thirty-one, mm-hmm. nine through sixteen. Mm-hmm. Be gracious to me, O Lord, and and you, I I don't have to raise my voice. That is just simply that's another, just that the name of Yahweh. Capital. You don't have to all scream. Right. This is right. not the Amplified Bible. Right. Don't yell. Don't yell. Be gracious to me, O Lord, same same volume, for I am in distress. My eye wastes away from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my misery and my bones waste away. I am the scorn of all my adversaries, a horror to my neighbors, an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. This sounds like a, a, the, uh, during a pharmaceutical commercial, <laughs> side effects. <laughs> Couldn't get much worse. All right. Back to the psalm. I have passed out of mind like one who is dead. Have I read that right? I have yes. passed out. Oh, I have passed out of mind yes. like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispering of many, terror all around, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say... Just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean there's not people out to get me. <laughs> I think that's not no, right. That's, no, that's, that's a note. in the anyway. quotes. But I trust in you, O Lord. Taking another run at this. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Mm-hmm. Save me in your steadfast love. Mm-hmm. Well, this is one of those times the lectionary is is being selective, okay. obviously, in, in picking this out. It, I mean, clearly you've got the servant, and I mean, it's hard not to read this with an eye toward passion. This mm. is the week mm-hmm. that we're reading it. It's why it's selected. Yeah. But Psalm 31 is is sort of a kooky psalm to begin with. In oh, that yeah. It the is cookie, it's the a, cookie collection. It's, the, it's a part of the cookie collection. <laughs> Nutty. Um, psalm 31 verses 1 through 8 are in and of themselves a complete lament. A cookie song of David. It is. That's <laughs> I don't know in Hebrew what that means. But no, Psalm 1, seriously, the verses 1 through 8 are, are a lament psalm. They've okay. got the complaint. Huh. They've got okay. God answering. Right. They've got the moment of trust. Everything's great. And we finish. On, and then verse 9 loops back to lament again. So after the trust that hmm. came in the previous couple of verses, 
Now we're back to oh, okay. suffering again. Right. And then we kind of run to the end. Um, uh, We've all done that before. Who who was it? Uh, Gerstenberger, uh, Erhard Gerstenberger said that uh, this psalm follows no logical pattern or order. Maybe um, it's a medley. And it could, a well, medley of lament. That has actually been suggested that but perhaps oh. these in, these existed independently at some point. Um, but one of my favorite responses to this, I think it was Beth Tanner. Maybe who, Isaiah is a medley. Who, who respond, Isaiah is a medley. Uh, Beth Tanner responded to Gerstenberger by saying that it's true. This psalm does not follow any logical, um, any logical cycle, but then life doesn't either. Ooh. So, <laughs> so Snap. It, she then dropped the mic. Mm-hmm. And um, so that, you know, we're back to the suffering again in mm-hmm. this, in this, uh, this section. Um, it's a roller coaster. It, that life is a roller coaster. <laughs> it's a merry go round. <laughs> Um, I feel a song coming on. Um, verse 12. Spinning wheel. <laughs> As Mike gets the guitar. I think the nature of this podcast is going to change. Oh, my. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm attributing to the sound effects. And all, where did it all go bad? Um, early, early on. Early. But verse 12, I've become like a broken vessel. Um, it kind of helps a little bit. The uh, Whenever you know pottery, once it's fired, doesn't go away. And so once, but once a pot's broken, it's not much good. So what do you <laughs> do? Just find it back in its little, uh, at its desk the what, next day. What are you <laughs> working away <laughs> in its cubicle? Oh, we thought we fired you. What, when it breaks, what often would happen is people would put uh, the crushed pottery as a way to pave the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have broken pottery or, or levels. Write on it that, well, they, that's true. They would yeah. write on bits of it as well. Um, but I'm in this context, I'm thinking of particularly when they use it to pave streets with. Oh, okay. Um, when I am mm. a broken vessel, mm. you know, being trampled upon hmm. uh, in that context here, I think is what what we're wow. looking at. So, yeah. so it is that sense of people walking all over me, yeah. literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's sense. I'm a broken pot. Wow, um, That's some powerful imagery. Yes, yes. Um, and as always, save me for the sake of the covenant love that you have for me, that promise that you made that we are connected, God. That's verse sixteen. Hmm. Um, uh, and then, of course, the line of servant. There's a reason that we're stopping with verse six, the beginning of verse sixteen, to call to mind servant as we get into passion. I'm okay. sure yeah. that's where we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it follows the. I mean, the, this this psalm has sort of two sections that follow your classic lament: the two complaints and two two <laughs> petitions and two moments of trust and two doxologies. Okay. And, I mean, it it, yeah. it is a it yeah. is a medley. Um, whether it was originally a medley or if it was two psalms that someone made a medley, I don't yeah. know. Uh-huh was composed in this way or not hmm. okay but, yeah yeah but boldness at the end mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hmm. let your face shine god's face is that sense of presence and protection okay yeah let your face shine upon your servant okay mm-hmm. yeah and that's in a benediction right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah number six mm-hmm. the the priestly blessing you're okay. thinking of yeah 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 right i have a uh Minister friend who always closes a service with that, and I always enjoy it. Oh, that's a great, that's a great blessing. Yeah. Covers, yeah, covers all the bases. Mm-hmm. Let your face shine upon your servant, save me in your steadfast love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's nice. Good. Good. Well, it's very simple. I don't have mm-hmm. a whole lot to, <laughs> to give you some context on there. Yeah. Okay. But we do have quite a bit. Do have some here. long text coming up? So. Coming up, so I want to good with that. Save some space. All right. Uh, Philippians two. Uh, I love this text, by yep. the way. I mean, right. I'm an Old Testament guy, but right. this may very well you read be. read it and tell me what you love about it. And this I'll... is this may be my very favorite verse in the section of Philippians. There's some good verses in Philippians. There's some good ones. <laughs> However you rearrange the magnets on the fridge. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself. Taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. That's good. Well, hey, this deserves a... Whoop, that that wasn't much of a clap. There There we go. Wow! Listen to that. I'll that, pretend it's for me. That's for me. That, that. Now, just this from for me, the issue of 
Christ being full, complete picture of the divine is important hermeneutically mm-hmm. reading the Old Testament. Oh, okay. I mean, because then that be- means that for me, yeah, Jesus becomes the standard by which I read all of right. the Old Testament. Right. Um, and not the other way around. Not the other way around. That's no. not a very Christian thing to do. And, and what, I mean, I had this wonderful moment in class where I was, I was asking them a question. I was like, you know, when you interpret this text, does it look, you know, mean? Does it look uh, sort of balanced or does it look gracious? And, um, and of course, the text on the surface, from a contemporary perspective, it looks mean. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. very bloody text in the Old Testament. And this, one of the students said, I think it looks gracious. Ooh. And I said, really? Why? He said, I have absolutely no idea, but that one looks like Jesus. Wow. Um, and I said, you know what? That's not a bad way to start any was reading. That? It was it was the uh, uh, death of the firstborn in okay. Exodus. Okay. You know, is this a, is this a gracious move? Huh. And, and so this, I think it's gracious. I said, why? And said, well, because that looks like Jesus. And so I was like, right. he said, but I need you to help me figure out how it looks like Jesus. <laughs> okay. I said, well, you know what? Yeah. That's not a bad way to read point. any Bible uh-huh. passage is to say, okay, I know God looks like Jesus. So uh-huh. what am I missing here? <laughs> that makes that makes this text make God look like Jesus. <laughs> Um, Hold that thought as we read through Judges. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Joshua. <laughs> exactly. No, I can make it work there too. Okay. Um, but yeah, this is a, this, so for me, this is an important verse in, in that it expli- makes explicit what is implicit elsewhere, this notion that Christ is the fullness of, mm-hmm. of God. Yeah. Um, and, and then that means for me that whenever I read God, I can substitute Christ and, and read it that way. So that's, that's why I love this passage. Right. Oh. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's, Why do you love this passage? Well, <laughs> it's... Uh, What's your favorite thing? Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> tell me what you love. <laughs> so much. I love how people have helped me understand it. Mm. I, I, I think for a long time, I read this as, uh, verse 6, as, uh, who, though he was in the form of God, held his nose, okay, <laughs> and did this nasty stuff. You know? Okay, okay. Did this stuff that was, that was tough. And I was like, and then he got up back to heaven and like, oh, finally I'm I can glad breathe. that's over. Yeah, I'm glad that's over with. And that's exactly not true. Um, although some people debate that. Um, that this is, should probably be read. Who, who? Uh, so it, there's a, the, the word is a participle in the Greek. And so being in the form of God. And so it doesn't have a lot of context. So you can interpret it different ways. You can okay. interpret concessively, although... He was in the form of God. He mm. did this. So as though what follows is against God's nature. Oh, okay. But some of the most thorough treatments of this, uh, for example, the, the word commentary, uh, Ralph Martin and then Gerald Hawthorne, who uh, revised it, very forcefully argue that it's not concessive, but it's uh, precisely because is how they would interpret that. Oh. Precisely because Christ was God and shared God's character and nature he did these kinds of things. And not only do these things tell us about Christ, but they, in, in, in doing so, Christ ex- reveals who God is. Mm-hmm. The incarnation reveals God's character. So we're talking at the beginning of verse 6. Mm-hmm. So you probably don't like the, though he was in the form of God. No. You no, like, no. you would want, because... Well, probably to, to clarify it would be, um, the, the though is not there. So the, uh, the was is the word that's there. Being, oh, okay. And it's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't quite phrase it the same way in so, English. So being in the form of God. And, and so I would probably uh, translate that precisely because he was God. Mm. Okay. Uh, he, he did not regard, regard equality with God as something to be exploited because he was God, but emptying himself, taking the form of a slave, oh, being a born in human. I would need that to, changes everything in well, this passage. Th- there's a, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I go was ahead. just saying that oh. being in the form of, God, precisely because he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be exploited. I mean, this this notion that that he would not exercise his privilege mm-hmm. that that is something we see God doing. God gives people room to be themselves and doesn't overpower them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that seems to be what's happening here. Is is you know you know what? Even though I'm God, even though I could, even though I'm entitled to these mm-hmm. things because mm-hmm. I'm God, I'm going to give. I'm going to you know, kenosis. I'm going to withdraw. I'm going to, I'm going to give you room to be, see, now I'm thinking out loud and that's always dangerous on microphone. Well, some of this is playing with presuppositions about God. Yeah. You know, it's not, he's not some Greek God on a, you know, Mount Olympus pounding his chest. I'm God. 
God, you know, throwing lightning bolts down. We just saw an opera. This <laughs> so we've got operatic voices are going in our heads. Okay, all right. So uh, yeah, I think to it is because God's way is not to be overbearing and mm-hmm. exploitive mm-hmm. in his power. Mm-hmm. That's why that's why God Christ wasn't exploitive in his power. It's because he, God yeah. isn't yeah. exploitive in yeah. his yeah. power. Yeah, not despite being God, but because precisely because he's God, he does these kinds of things. He's other oriented. He's uh serving oriented. He's he's uh, emptying himself of mm. of 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 his advantage and his privilege to serve others for the well-being of others. So precisely because in the form of God, he emptied himself mm. and took the form of a slave or a servant, being born in hu- human likeness. So this is talking about incarnation yeah. is an act of serving others, to enter into creation, to serve creation. Mm-hmm. The creator enters into creation. And because being, that's the kind of thing God does, that's ex- which, yeah, you, which exactly. you can see in the Old Testament, is him looking after the mm-hmm. widow and the orphan mm-hmm. and the exploited yeah. and yeah. the immigrant. Yeah, isn't that just like God? That's you know, just that like God. Because yeah. he's God, he does this kind of thing. Uh-huh. He becomes a servant to others, yeah. which we saw, of course, in Christ at the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, mm-hmm. at yeah. the, in John, yeah. which isn't exactly Last Supper. But close. Well, all, that's what he's explaining at the Last Supper. Right. You know? um, this is who I am. And, and, and we were just we were just in, in um, New Testament. We were studying the the Lord's Supper passage in Corinthians, and and Paul is saying to them as they come and memorialize the climax of this mm-hmm. coming to others and serving uh, and and uh, uh, being obedient to the point of death. Jesus is giving them some symbols to commemorate that and reflect on that. The Corinthians are like self serving and they're keeping their own food from the potluck and going off into other rooms. And, yeah. Some people are going hungry, and it's just like that's that's so. And, You're and, and, missing and, the point of who God is. What Paul says is slightly. It's a it's a the language he uses for Lord's Supper there is like this. What you're doing is not a Lord's Supper or a lordly supper. Kind of has an ad, adverbial quality. Oh, wow. The Lord has nothing to do with your supper, <laughs> what you guys are doing, okay? Wow. And he says, but as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Mm-hmm. So it's like how you engage in this meal is supposed to reflect God's character. Mm-hmm. Like um, like Francis says, I'm surprised none of my students knew this quote. It says, preach the, preach the gospel yeah. at all times, if necessary, use words. So Paul is saying, your action should represent the character of the meal and the, mm-hmm. the character of the person behind that meal, who uh, which is being unpacked in the, in the Philippians hymn. Wow. And, and this could be a worship hymn. It could be something they sang there. Could you imagine yeah. them singing something like this and then... Wow. And then hoarding their own good food and not sharing, not saving anything for the for the real slaves who mm. maybe can't get off and come to the to the the, the meal on time, can't yeah. bring anything. Okay, uh, we know the people from the youth group just get the uh, two liter Coke on sale, but that's okay. We know that's a phase. But the the slave who actually maybe always comes late, it's like, do you, are you going to set aside some food for them? You know, yeah. are you going to uh, are you going to act that way? So. Uh, it, the, the disjunction would be some. If this is a worship, uh, something that seems to be something that Paul might be quoting a, mm-hmm, a hymn, mm-hmm. an early Christian hymn, and uh, so that would be a real jarring disjunction. So the the act of incarnation is an emptying himself. It is taking the form of a slave, um, and then from then he continues to humble himself mm-hmm. and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, mm-hmm. the most this most heinous sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, death. So uh, you can kind of chart this as this descent and ascent. Right. That that uh, the depths is that even death on a cross. Therefore, and now now no, it's God is. Uh, I guess we would call it in terms of the mystery of how we understand God the Father. You know, uh, God highly exalted Him. Now God is the actor here. So the therefore is representing God's character even to the cross. Is that what's happening here? There for, uh, I mean, he's like, he humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of his willingness to reflect divine character, because of mm, the ability to mm. reflect, therefore, the, the exaltation comes from the cruci- from obedience and crucifixion, from, from maintaining God's character, even in crucifixion. Oh. Is that? Yeah, I need to think about that. I need to think about all the ways you could, you mm. might read that. Because. I was just, I was thinking we've been John so much now and, and having yeah. cross as glorification ah, cross as glorification is is not, see what yeah. you've done to me yeah. and and so just that therefore the glorification comes as a result of the obedience to death on a cross um, 
being I, being God's character. I don't think I've slowed down to really appropriate two nine. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So, uh, is this a reversal of fortune, or is this in continuity, or or mm. does does him participate? Does Christ participating in creation in this way, therefore make him? uniquely the the perfect universal mm-hmm. Lord. I, I, mm-hmm. I need to kind of wrestle with that. I haven't really thought that through. Um, I'm, I'm usually wrestling with alternative interpretations of six. You're fighting with people on six. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is always interesting to read where you realize, oh, uh, they're no longer talking about the text. They're fighting with people. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> outside. Right. Having or, or Bible translations or something. I was I, every now and then when a student's reading something and they're like, well, I didn't really quite understand what was going on. I said, that's because he's fighting with someone you don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let me, right. let me tell you the context yeah. and that'll help you hear him a little bit. Right. They, they, they stepped outside the text. Yeah, exactly. They're talking about sources or. Right. Yeah. The escape hatch has been opened and they'll be back. <laughs> They'll be back before they move on second. to the next passage. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I guess I'm just thinking if we're talking about he is is emptying himself and taking the form of a slave because that's who God is and that's what God does. That's that's in character with God. Then his humility to the point of death is also in that character. And then as a result of that, therefore, mm-hmm. the exaltation comes because yeah. of that reflection of God's character. Yeah. When when the temptations now we'll jump to another gospel. The temptations would be to run against that, right? All three of the temptations are to use power and position to, yeah. to benefit self yeah. as opposed to use it to serve. Mm-hmm. And so the willingness to do that brings the glorification in verse 9. Yeah. It, this is this is poetic uh, in terms of it, how it's, you know, this mm-hmm. descent, ascent. Mm-hmm. I'm also, as you're talking, I'm also thinking about the image of the lamb on the throne. Who yeah. was receiving universal worship? Very That's similar in Revelation. Yeah, yeah, in Revelation five. Yeah, uh, also mentioned at the end of three and in seven. So it's unambiguously the Lamb is on the throne and is worshipped as God precisely for, because of these characteristics. Yeah, and so that's like so that would back up what I asked. Yeah, it's the, like the crucif- Yeah, it's yeah. mind jarring. You know, this, the juxtaposition of our presuppositions what we have about God. Mm-hmm. And that these are the very qualifying. These are the re, these are things that truly reveal God's character, and 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 uh, and bring forth an acknowledgement of His worthiness mm-hmm. of worship. I mean, it's. Yeah. I don't think there's other religions that, that yeah. have that image of God. Yeah, that is and, and that, extraordinary. And and this is probably even more extraordinary that that is reflected without the omnis. That's reflected mm, without mm-hmm, omnipresence. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Christ in one place. Right. It's reflected without omniscience because Christ acknowledges not knowing the uh-huh. day or the hour, but uh-huh. the Father only knows that. And and uh, in Mark 6, you could argue without omnipotence that Christ is not all-powerful. He was not able to perform any good work in Nazareth. So, okay. That, okay. so that in being fully, in being, you know, fully human... And is reflecting in emptying himself. Emptying himself of uh, he's not emptying himself. He's emptying himself of those things, but not emptying himself of what it is to be God. Yeah, Um, it's very paradoxical. It is. It is. So so that you can you can look at Christ without the omnis and still understand the fullness of God. Right. And 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 those omni those uh, classical sort of yeah those Greek categories really not part of the. Biblical worldview. Right, I mean, it right. hinges upon as you get to the New Testament, but it's not the starting place for thinking about. Well, as God I often, I often tell the students that perhaps um, you know, first century Greek uh, metaphysical characteristics aren't the best way to express a Hebrew God in twenty first <laughs> yeah, century America. Right, yeah, you know? yeah, <laughs> might, yeah, might be some cultural yeah, issues right. we have. Despite going... <laughs> two thousand years of doing so, yeah, right, creeps in early. Yeah, right. And it's funny so, how how quickly the first Christian heresy were some some Greek religious concepts. Uh, creeping into mixing yeah. with the gospel with right. Gnosticism, right. but so quickly after that, these Greek uh, philosophical categories are used for as an interpretive grid mm-hmm. for understanding mm-hmm. God, and it's it's um, and, and it might be as our as our colleague, uh, one of our theologian colleagues tells us that might be a uh, way of communicating with their at world, their world, yeah, yeah at their uh, worldview, yeah. Right. But we take them as. Uh, unchanging uh, truths and the the reality under yeah, it's complicated. Creation. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I was we were talking about this uh, as I was reading Philippians two this morning, and then I check Facebook. Well, you know, as one does when you want to look for good Philippians, the other canon, right? <laughs> and I, I see that our uh, one in. colleague at our sister institution, Northern um, Seminary, mm-hmm. in 
Chicago or uh, Lombard in the Chicagoland area. As people have, actually, if people are paying attention to the clues. They can probably figure out where we are. They might start being <laughs> yeah, able to figure yeah. out where our undisclosed institution is, yes. or a Google search of our names might do it too. But right. Anyway. David David Fitch uh, posted, uh, and this is a quote, initially a quote from N.T. Wright. Jesus subjected himself to death, not despite that he was in God's form and equal with God, but because he was those things. N.T. Wright. So mm-hmm. N.T. Wright's another one in that column. The cross reveals God's love, not his wrath. It reveals the way he enters into the world and works for healing, not the way he judges the world from a distance. This is who God is. Well, that re- that elicited a lot of responses, including our colleague, uh, yeah. Daryl Cosden, a uh, theologian in our department, who uh, says, Amen, the cross reveals who God truly is, a God who deals with our problem, which is sin, not the angry disposition of his conflicted self. Mm. That's nice. That's a nice God's phrase. wrath is, we've heard this. Yeah, <laughs> we've, we've seen this movie. <laughs> As Daryl comes in and gives us permutations of this, but it's good stuff. God's wrath is not taken out on Christ so that he can forgive us. And there's some strong language coming. He's he spent time in Britain. Poppycock. Oh, man. We should have bleeped that. We're <laughs> <laughs> trying to find an appropriate sound effect for that. Uh, God's self empties in Christ. He's, in parentheses, he has zero, and absorbs the death and sin that destroys God's good creation, Irenaeus. God's anger is removed because that which threatens to destroy his beloved is overcome and dealt with by God himself, taking it into his own inner life and saying no to death is not the last word. A Western propitiatory understanding of God undermines the gospel. A substitution was made, yes, but it was not in a penal sense as many reformers express it. And even Anselm's balancing the wrath and mercy mechanistic approach misses the whole point of most of the the fathers engage in the Christological and Trinitarian debates. The cross is vi- okay. The cross is violent, but it is not God's violence on display, but rather ours towards a way of peace and forgiveness that we cannot stand. Yeah, yeah nice. Yeah, nice little discussion on Facebook. Uh, not always doesn't always rise that to that level. Doesn't always have that kind of yeah, that kind of. Getting, I'm sure that not all of the comments on that are at that uh, level. I'm just going to guess there. They're not bad. You know? oh, okay, well that's good. Nobody's. I don't think anyone got political. That's good to hear. Church politics, but nothing. <laughs> nothing about a Supreme Court justice or anything. But it's nice to it's nice to have the church putting Philippians as an Easter, yeah. as a preparatory to Easter issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's 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 important, I think. Yeah, and nice. So, and, and also, I think we were talking about this uh, a few weeks ago that. Christ is saving and expressing God's nature in a continuity that culminates in the cross, mm-hmm. but there's there's meaning and value to the entire mm-hmm. uh, self-emptying. Right. Uh, the uh, the cross is a uh, is the climax and and termination of that or turning point. In, well, in it's, one sense, yeah. And, and in in how many ways is it that that Christ shows us how the character of God, how someone who bears the character of God interacts with this world and how the world responds to someone mm. who bears the character of God in it. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the cross. Right. Ultimately. I don't like that Psalm we're reading. <laughs> kind kind of like that Psalm we're reading. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One of these, it's one of these righteous guys. Let's get them. Right. All right. Right. Well, that is one of the, um, in terms of space, uh, that disproportionately generates Big uh, commentaries, Philippians yeah. two. I mean, books, books on Philippians two. Well, yeah, it's it's key, right? I mean, it's it's absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, now I know that we are technically this is for Palm Sunday, but uh, we mm-hmm. are in the Passion and talking right. about Passion mm-hmm. and. And so we're going to do, I think, Matthew twenty-seven, eleven to fifty-four. Yeah, we're going to do the shorter version. It may not seem shorter as we read it. Yeah, right. trust me, this is the shorter version. <laughs> you want to get a um, drink of water before use <laughs> the bathroom? Before in fact, we you guys start? can go ahead and go. I'm just going <laughs> to okay. go ahead and read. All right. Um, so Matthew chapter twenty-seven, eleven through fifty-four. Now, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, "Are you the king of the Jews?" Jesus said, "Your you words, s- not mine." <laughs> you say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he didn't answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave 
him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Mm. That's a surprising reaction from Mm. a governor to someone ignoring him, I think. Mm -hmm. Now, at the festival, the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time, they they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they, I almost said Jesus Barabbas, I'm sorry, <laughs> Jesus Barabbas. We don't know how they pronounce it. I wouldn't have known. Uh, so after they gathered, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who's called Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that innocent man for today I've suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said, then what should I do with Jesus, who is called Messiah? All of them said, let him be crucified. Then he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, his blood will be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, and after twisting some thorns into a crown and put it on his head, they put a reed in his right hand and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spat on him, took the reed, and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon, they compelled this man to carry his cross, and when they came to a place of, called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him some wine to drink mixed with gall, but he tasted it and would not drink it. Then, when, And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothing among them by casting lots. Page two. Oh. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head they put a charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's king of the Jews, excuse me, king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, uh, if he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. About three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 21. Uh, when they, Psalm 22, when some of the bystanders heard it, they said, the man is calling for Elijah. Uh, at once, one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick and gave him to drink. Uh, but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come save him. Then Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and rocks were split. The tombs were also open and many bodies of the saints who'd fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs mm-hmm. and entered the holy city, which and appeared to many. Now, when centurion and those who were with them, who were keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was God's son. All right. Thank you. One breath. That was good. (laughs) Wow. There's just, you know, it's just amazing. I've I've seen this story, haven't I? Yeah. But But it's it's rare that I sit and read it it like that. Yeah. I know. I don't, we don't do that. It's nice to hear long portions of text read. When Paul says to Timothy, give attention to the reading of the word. That means just reading, reading in church, in church, (laughs) reading long portions of scripture, not necessarily expounding it. Um, that's true, but prob- probably, but, but, uh, the reading of it. And for me, I just transported, I don't think I've read this since I, since I visited Israel not that long ago. Mm. And so I'm just like, Oh, like it's, we're, it's so rushed when you're there. Mm-hmm. Then you have this occasion to mm-hmm. encounter a portion of the gospels. And I'm like, Oh, I'm being transported yeah. to that, to walk in the Via della Rosa and, and to the, to the tomb, right. the church of the, uh, Holy Sepulchre. How do you say sepulchre? Sepulchre. Sepulchre, I believe, is how it's pronounced. Sepulchre. (laughs) Just don't visualize the the letters in your head. Sepulchre. (laughs) Yes. Um, I just think I noticed for the first time that I think there could be some puns going on here that in at least if you know Hebrew, um, 42, that he saved others and cannot save himself Mm -hmm. and let God deliver him now when Jesus' name means 
it salvation deliverance mm-hmm. i mean mm-hmm. it's the na- it's the word they were crying out palm sunday yeah hosanna, mm-hmm. hosanna. is yeah is save us this it's the same right. root word for jesus yeah. uh once you greekify it right. um and so they're saying you know save others save himself deliver now and those are all riffing on his name in hebrew mm. yeah give me or bookends for the week i mean uh, the the hosanna shouts yeah. of save yourself and, and acknowledgement of king save us now and then and then this turning mm-hmm. uh, the uh, uh, at the end of Passion Week, yeah, 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 probably, so, so probably, it's... certainly, irony, heavy irony, yeah, uh, and uh, and later um, haunting him. If you are God's son, is mm-hmm. how the devil taunted him in the temptation. Oh wow, okay, yeah. So this is heavy, right. and, and and even the people being crucified with him are taunting him. It's yeah, like, man, <laughs> that's. Right. That's pretty bad. That is pretty bad. At least we're not that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that is rough. That's, yeah. That's, it, I mean, it almost is kind of like, man, that's kind of over the top, but yeah. it's, it's, it's something, you know? Yeah. At least we do, we do quote a psalm. That's nice. A mm-hmm. lament psalm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And of course, there's a discussion in, right. in the quotation. Is this, is this a sense of abandonment or is this an acknowledgement? Of suffering, but it's a lament which will resolve in faith. So there's division in God, you know, how people read that. Yeah, I I will confess that I read it as a, a feeling of abandonment mm-hmm. that is addressing God mm-hmm. in a feeling of hopelessness. Yeah, um, acknowledgement. And and I only I think I do that because of how important it is for me to have a high priest who understands. Yeah, um, right. and that it you know the game's not fair if if Jesus is. You know, all right. Yeah. Well, I just you know, I know it's. Gonna I be got. Yeah, it's the muscular it, Jesus who snaps off one of the. Right, muscles. right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, was, that wasn't hard. I, I I tend to see this as you know a perceived abandonment. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it could be that there there's a there's an argument disproportionate argument on that because so much is built theology is built right. on that and that may be not not to properly to rest an entire theology on right on on one cry of despair. I do love, I heard an interpretation of this passage in Mark that have you ever been sitting someplace at an, an, now I know you've done it in church, but have you been at an academic presentation that someone gave you an interpretation and you literally got chills? Have you ever had a moment where you just went, oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Opens things up. Yeah. And, And this was a fellow reading Mark and Mark places the cry of desperation, um, and the temple tearing between, I mean, really much closer together. There's not mm-hmm, the, the mm-hmm. people being raised thing. Okay. And so this man was pointing out that in Mark, whenever Aramaic is spoken, a miracle happens. Oh. And in, in Mark, you know, the Talutakum, the girl rise and she does. Yeah. And there's one more he gave as an example. That. And so he says, Eloi, Eloi, not Eli, Eli. This uh-huh. is the Hebrew. Eloi, uh-huh. Eloi, lama sabachthanoi. And at that moment when he cries out, the temple rips, which he under- huh. interpreted as God's response oh. to Jesus's cry. Okay. That, in other words, the temple's ripping is not that we all get to come in, but that God has come out mm. is the message there. And so Jesus says, "My God, My God, why have you forsaken me?" The temple rips. God comes out and answers. And then the centurion says, "Truly, oh, this man okay. was God's son." And when he did that, I, I literally got wow. chills and thought, wow. "Wow, that was that is the coolest thing huh. I've ever heard in that moment." So. Um, yeah. So yeah, that this is a. I don't think it's quite as overt here as it is in Mark, but uh, it's it's much closer. You don't have the the other stuff there that. Uh, it's such a the curtain of the temple is such a pregnant symbol. Oh gosh, people yeah. take it in so many different directions, and and the death of Jesus is a convergence of so many mm. narrative threads mm. that I don't know that we can. Uh, boil it down to one, one or two things. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, he has done actions that portend the destruction of the temple, mm-hmm. uh, and yet certainly uh, Paul and others had talk about the uh, the walls of separation being broken, broken down. down. And, and some people would say there is a there is a veil between the court of the Gentiles and the court of uh, women. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of that. I but, didn't know, about but that's that that's following more closely on uh, Pauline sort of looking at those uh, outer outer mm-hmm. barrier, barriers that separate uh, ethnicities. Well, and even in in Luke's telling of Jesus's ministry, you have this picture of God coming out of the temple. I mean that 
I, I think about in the Old Testament where when the thing that is clean touches the thing that is unclean, the clean thing is soiled. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is, and all throughout right. Luke in particular, is touching these unclean right. things and yeah. is cleansing them. Yeah. That now this this God is coming out. Right. And, and okay. And, yeah. You know, as opposed to. When I was going to ask you if you heard any of the uh, Ezekiel, we talk about God abandoning the temple. Right. We were talking right. last week. Well, we weren't talking about that when we got into it. Re- I referenced yeah. it, yeah. Yeah. And I don't, no, I don't know if you hear anything like that when you hear about it. Oh, you know, I don't. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, you could. That's in, uh, that's funny. Because I know never, there's one, at least one commentator who takes it that direction. That God's left the temple. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. No, I no. Hmm. boy. Yeah. This is what we need to provide moments of silence for us to process <laughs> yeah. in this podcast because yeah. I know I had never heard that. I guess for me, I, I've not read this as God leaving the temple, mm-hmm. but that now the earth in some ways becomes the temple. I mean, you know, the, mm-hmm. the temple is now no longer. Mm-hmm. A single location, but in fact, right, spread out. Right, God moved away in Ezekiel. Which it probably always represented. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, it was supposed to. There's creation. I, I mean, there's all sorts of creation imagery in the temple. I told, didn't I mention on the podcast? That's tricky questions. I was talking to the rabbi in Jerusalem about. Yeah. Yeah. So is this is this God's zip code or is this a symbol of how God's everywhere? You know. Yeah. 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 So. That that yeah, there's all sorts of creation imagery in there. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of you know, yeah. I mean, the point is that it is supposed to be representative of well, and and even Genesis one, there are plenty of readings of seeing Genesis one uh, organized in the way in which uh, a temple is, is yeah. put together. That's very temple imagery in Genesis one, and um, I think it was uh, I don't remember who what scholar was telling that the last thing you do when you build a temple is you place an image of the god in it, and okay. that the humanity ah, then becomes yeah. that yeah. Uh, so, so that the world is that sense of temple. So that, I guess in my mind, I'd always read it as sort of a return to that. Mm-hmm. I'd never seen it as judgment on, as, as Ezekiel does. It's likely a, a multifaceted, multivalent yeah. symbol that's unpacked in different contexts in different ways. Mm. Uh, in Luke, there's so much staging in terms of um, uh, Jew and Gentile issues that you do understand it as somehow... Uh, dissolution or overturning of that uh, this thing that that mediates a worldview of graded, graded holiness that, yeah. that separates people and it's kind of intentional in Luke and how it's set up in that how you have both uh, the Gentile and Jewish so you don't have Jewish courts response. anymore right that you're breaking through all those courts and now everyone all, yeah. depending on no matter who you are you're able right. to access yeah. God yeah all those yeah. things that keep certain people at arm's length you know from mm-hmm. from God mm-hmm. who they might be attracted to and, and want to approach but yeah, so it's very interesting. To, it would be very interesting to read these accounts of the moment of death of Jesus in the four the yeah. four gospels, yeah. uh, and 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 even doing that, you would need to know how they set that up, how have they framed it, right? So, uh, in in um, in Matthew's meditation on that, in Matthew's uh, mm-hmm. exposition, you have the uh, uh, the earthquake and the I opening of the tomb. Was about to ask you, depending that. on how you translate the Greek, it's the timing is like, uh, wait a minute, these were resurrected before Jesus was resurrected, and some would say, no, you don't necessarily read that way. Of course, in Greek, it's just a string of text with no space right. between words, no punctuation. Right. So it's legitimate readings to say that this occurs. Well, it says after, after his resurrection. After his here resurrection would imply that's not unambiguous in the Greek, and and this is, I think, this is a. This makes sense of the text. Oh, okay. So the text is ambiguous. The in text the Greek. being the narrative and the larger Christian narrative. Okay. So, uh, so people were resurrected here in well, Matthew. Well, that's, that's the thing because because the the last commentary I read on this um, is that they, they no they were they were resurrected after Jesus was resurrected, resurrected and went into the city before they were taken to heaven. It's like it wasn't even an I was like, wow. Oh wow. This is not a, just a resuscitation. So this is a full on bodily resurrection moment know, for th- some. There's a lot of discussion of the backstory. It's like what well, the backstory is not there. And, and and what we have here is something like Paul saying that Jesus is the fr- first fruits of resurrection. Right. In his resurrection, we have the assurance of resurrection. And and this is kind of a dramatic um expression of that. Yeah. Do I know the backstory? Are they still wandering around in Jerusalem? Were they taken to heaven? Is this a resuscitation? Is this a midrash of some sort? It, I, 
It's uh, wow. Like you, you, one could lose oneself in the backstory. So this is okay. Yeah, we've lost the original occasion of this text that Matthew's audience would have heard and went, "Oh, okay, yeah. gotcha, gotcha." Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's the that's the uh, kind of the collateral of Jesus' resurrection or death and resurrection. Kind gotcha. of maybe seeing it as as one after his resurrection. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're looking back on this as a point, the a continuity. Um. Yeah, so you can wow, you can really get off, lose the whole, the little things that that throw us, the little uh, historical factoids that kind of jar with us. That you can really get off track and, yeah. and waste all your time on that in yeah. a commentary and in a sermon. And it's like, yeah. I don't know that we're doing people a service. I mean, I know in teaching, I don't spend a lot of time on that stuff. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I don't think it's going to be helpful uh, when someone typically opens. The Bible, they're not going to be asking. You can explain that once. It might be a side conversation. But I don't think that's what most people are asking. This, Yeah, well, this, I think your your point is that I think for some – what I hear you say. No, I think your point <laughs> is that for some people, those points become almost sort of magical insights into some sort of deep theological point. Yeah. When instead, it's, for Matthew, it's, peripheral. it's it's in service of the story. Mm-hmm. It is it is some aspect that his original audience would have heard in yeah. service of yeah. the other of yeah. the overall story, mm-hmm. not a theological focus point in and yeah. of itself. Yeah, um, really. There's yeah, that's not the climax. Well, that's well, that's like when the students ask me where Cain's wife comes from. Yeah. Right. It's the same yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you know, where's a- Cain's wife come from? I mean, he had Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, and you don't have Abel, and then he's building a city and he gets married, and where are all these people coming from? Yeah. And I was like, this is one of those things the Bible just didn't think you were going to have a problem with. It's a with, peripheral you know? it's novelty a, that is. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, let's not get stuck on that footnote. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. in service of this greater story, and that's interesting, yeah. but that's not that's no. not the point. Um, and it's nice to hear the, this a long span of text and, and just yeah. just kind of experience it. Do you have any idea what in verse thirty nine those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads? Now you and I, I mean, oh, from an American perspective, to mm. shake our head means mm. pity or deri- I mean, deri- but is there anything there that we that I'm I, culturally missing? I don't know this this specific thing. Okay. I think I, I guess I read that as kind of a, a an American. <laughs> You read it as an American, as a, as a well, the, the dead, the dead chicken thing, the hen deity is kind of like the saying the same thing. They derided him, shaking their head. That is how they derided. It's a, it's an yeah. act of derision. Yeah, that's how I understood that. Uh, I don't have any uh, other cultural examples inside cultural there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Any the dream shows up again. Dreams are very important in Matthew. So whereas oh, the, the uh, Gentile uh, Gentiles having dreams about what God is doing. So the uh, the wise men Joseph. Uh, uh, Joseph has dreams. Has dreams. The, the uh, wise men have the a dream. Magi depart from an, another way because right, of a dream. Of a dream. And now Pilate's wife has a dream. Mm-hmm. Pilate's wife has a dream. And she speaks. Uh, I mean, this is a a true dream because she's mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's an innocent man. Right. And it seems that Pilate. I don't think he's going out of his way to say his innocence, but he probably thinks he's innocent. There's nothing compelling of death, so. He perhaps is maneuvering the crowd, like, well, I'll give him an option to give him free, and it's like he's kind of shocked that they choose Barabbas mm-hmm. over, over Jesus. Uh, there's a there's a lot of ink spilled on uh, verse 25. Uh, mm-hmm. the, then his the blood will be on us and our children. Answered, his blood yeah. be upon us and our children. Uh, mostly because of the the horrific church history of, of misuse of that text. Mm. Um, there are some interesting discussions about that text that this. The first time I read, I, I was looking at, oh, what was I looking at? I was looking at something in the New American Commentary series, which I never read. Um, and someone said that this might be a way of giving an oath of innocent. We're innocent in calling for his death. He's deserving. So his blood be upon us and our children is not some sort of, mm. you know, take advantage of, but uh, like I swear on my mother's grave. Yeah, I swear on my mother's grave. Mother-in-law's grave. Kind of. grave yeah, mother's right. grave. You know, something like that. May yeah. this happen to me, you know, yeah. if uh, the, what we're if I'm, what I'm saying is not true. Well, that, that would be uh, that would be keeping with culture. I would have no problems understanding that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's. But it is not. It's a turn of phrase between what Pilate said. Right. Also, uh, I I'm innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourself. His blood be on us and our children. Yeah. So um, I think it's a, a little bit unfair to read it in light. Well, obviously, read it in light of church history. Yeah. Right. Yeah. A misuse. To to assign the meaning uh, by I think you're people's appropriation, anti-Semitic. anti-Semitism. The yeah. way this has been used as an anti-Semitic text for for millennia is tragic. Yeah, tragic. A tragic misuse of scripture. A tragic misuse of scripture. That uh, I that I believe is rather than uh, 
critiquing it, it, I think there's more we value in retrieving what it actually meant, so mm-hmm. that one doesn't continue to to misread it. But right. uh, and it only shows up here in, in Matthew that mm-hmm. the crowd does not cry that out in the other accounts. So he's not sent to Herod here, is he? Jesus isn't. I think he's come from Herod. Oh, he already. just came from Herod yeah. already. Yeah. Well, then, okay. I, I guess why doesn't. A lot, of, a lot of back and forth. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I'm just I'm I'm disturbed by the fact that no one in the history of church history has missed the fact that by sending him to Herod and him being rejected, and sending him to Pilate, him being rejected, that's everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Jews and non-Jews right. who yeah. have rejected Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's everybody. No one is more guilty well, or yeah, more exactly. innocent in any I know. of this. That, that is what a good reading will bring out. A good commentators say, well. Uh, that's not the only place someone's guilty. It's like clearly everyone is everyone guilty. Everyone here of this. is guilty. Everyone, yeah. It's like <laughs> so, hey, let's choose this verse. Right. It's the Jews that did this. Like, and everyone, you know, for most of the story, except for these little points, everyone's Jewish. Right. Okay? <laughs> right. It's so uh, it's so uh, anachronistic to read. I would say anything in the span of the New Testament as anti-Semitic. Like yeah. this is a this it's is a Jewish a, text. This is a Jewish argument. Mm-hmm. Who's mm-hmm. the true Israel? Uh, and and there were w- w- even worse things. I mean, um, and, and the rhetoric is so much higher, so much over the top. Yeah. So we hear this in our uh, northern kind of influenced by northern European and, and North American sort of culture, and it's like that just seems so over the top. It's like that's kind of the standard, kind of the baseline yeah. <laughs> kind of rhetoric over the top. Yeah, that's rhetoric true. of the Middle East. You know. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so it's it's uh, any big. Careful negotiating and navigating some of this, some of this stuff. Any other symbols you want to talk about? I mean, you know, obviously there's, there's so, so much. much. I mean, my goodness, this, Simon the Cyrene comes into this, right? Someone coming in, likely okay. from uh, maybe he's a pilgrim uh, at the feast mm-hmm. coming in. In uh, in Luke, it uh, makes a point of saying he's coming in from the countryside, so he's he's someone who's not guilty for ca- calling for the death of uh, Jesus. Okay. Um, so he's carrying it. It's an image of, you know, carrying the cross, uh, after Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's so much here. It's, it's, uh, kind of a choice. Like, do I even begin to talk about some of this? It's, yeah. It's amazing. And yet, uh, not losing the, uh, the forest for the trees or the pine, the needles on the pine trees. Right. You know, it's just uh, letting this wash over you, uh, during passion week is, is uh, is a value in and of itself. Well, I don't think about that. Think about like over exposition. I mean, mm. is that you've preached a lot more sermons than I have? I've yeah, preached a handful of sermons. You've preached yeah. hundreds of sermons. Are there <laughs> are there is there something of value in 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 holding back exposition on a like a yeah, text like this? There is. I, I have I have in the course of my life found that I'm saying less and less hmm. deeper. I'm saying, uh, yeah, I'm saying less and less. And what I'm saying, I'm saying more deeply. Uh, and, and, and part of it is, I, I would like to think it's maturity. I, I would, I, and I would, I think I have exhaustion. Yeah, that's what it is. I'm just tired. I don't want to talk that long. Uh, knees start to give out. I don't have no, any more words. I, I, you know, I, I think years ago, I, I always, I try to, people ask me, I was just speaking to a fellow this week about tips on preaching and, and I said, you have to resist the frustration that your congregation isn't where you are. Mm. Mm. And and you also have to resist the temptation to trying to get them where you are in one sermon. Yeah. Um, you know, you've studied for years. You've been dealing with this text for oh, years. Yeah, you've been moving is, with this stuff for years. Yeah. And and why can't the world see what you see after mm-hmm. all this, you can't, you can't mm-hmm. bring, and you can't get them there in one day. That's what the internet's for. And that, right. Making the world see what you see. Make him see what you see. Get online. So I, so I encouraged, I encouraged him to, to take that, to find the point that can turn them toward mm. you mm. and maybe make them, bring them a step. And that, that pastoring is more about that journey, um, meeting them where they are, mm. helping them to see what you're seeing as you go. Um, Rather than getting so frustrated that you know you need to give them everything, look at everything I've learned from this. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it, it's so funny because I, it, when I was talking to him, all I could think about was when I led the trip to Israel, um, which now I guess about uh, ten years ago, the last time I led a trip to Israel, and I, I've spent, you know, I did two excavations, one for a month and a half, one for two months, mm-hmm. and then I did two other visits, and we go to all these different 
you know, I've, there's, I've been a bunch of places that are off the bus tour as yeah, a result yeah, of this, right. you know? And, and so as we're going through Israel, I, I spent the first three days frustrated because yeah. we just don't have time to see right. all the things I want to show them. Right. And my, my wonderful co-leader, um, is a physics professor that, that, you know, was, I took a physics uh, professor with oh, me. Oh, really? You yeah. And, uh, he looked at me and he said, dude, you know, you're the only one who knows what we're missing. <laughs> yeah. That's and, that's and it, it was this moment of, you know what, that's right. I need to, I need to focus on helping them experience these things better hmm. rather than worry about what hmm. I'm not giving them. So, yeah. So, yeah, in honesty, as I've preached over the years, I find that, uh, you know, the old three points, I, I hmm. find that if you three points, you've wasted two of them, that you find your one okay. point. And, right. and, um, and that, this is how I'm going to talk about it this year. Yeah. Uh, that's going to help move them in this direction. Yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's, you know, Robert Wallace's tips for preaching. Yeah. But that's, that's honestly to try well, to resist the frustration. And, and it's going to strike you different next year. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So there's not one, you know. But try to resist the frustration that they're not where you are because uh-huh. they're not going to be. That's good. Um, um, good stuff. Try to try to slowly bring them your way because mm-hmm. you'll move too. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, I can imagine. And when you get into the climax of a story like this, you can get in the way. I think of some uh, films lately where at climactic moments, the, the, everything goes silent and you're just yeah. taking it all in. So yeah. it's almost there's no exposition in terms of... Uh, well, that's what happens in Revelation, uh, right? At the climactic well, moment, things go yeah, silent. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it just things slow down and get get quiet. And mm. it's like, oh, that's really interesting. You know, sometimes a whisper is more powerful than a shouting. Mm. Well, on that note, maybe we should go silent. So okay. uh, I hope you have a, a good Passion Week and take some time to, to marinate in these texts, as Mike was suggesting. Yeah. Um, have a, a powerful experience as you journey to the cross um, this week. So, have a blessed Easter week. Blessings. Blessings. Blessings.